Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to attempt to tell you everything you need to know about mountain bike brakes, or at least almost everything. So we're going to start out talking about the history of brakes on mountain bikes. And for those who know their mountain bike history, you'll remember that the original mountain bikes were actually cruiser bikes clunkers that were fixed up and these bikes actually had brakes that were called coaster brakes. Aaron, what what can you tell us about coaster brakes? Well, if you had a bike as a little kid, it probably had coaster brake on it, which is, you know, you pedal backwards to stop. So it's awesome for doing really sweet skids, but that's about it. You don't have a ton of modulation or anything with a coaster brake. It's just, you know, pretty much on or off. Right. And mountain bikers realized pretty quickly that those weren't great for mountain biking because they tended to really overheat, especially when you're doing downhill on a mountain bike. And that's actually how they got the name for uh, one of the original, I guess the original mountain bike race called Repack. And it's because they had to repack the bearings in those coaster brakes after every run down the hill. So coaster brakes, not well suited to mountain bikes. Pretty soon, people started putting rim brakes on their mountain bikes. And those have obviously have some advantages over coaster brakes, but there's also some disadvantages. So, Greg, what do you know about rim brakes? Well, rim brakes, essentially, you know, the brake pad contacts the rim on the mountain bike. And, you know, you don't have the issues of boiling off your grease, but it does bring up a whole bunch of other issues that you don't even have with coaster brakes. Um, some of the big disadvantages of rim brakes are reduced uh, braking power in wet or muddy conditions. Because if you think about um, your pad hitting the rim of your bike, the rim and the tire is the part that's going through all the, the water, the mud, whatever you encounter. So if you're trying to break with that surface in bad weather, it can be just not a very good situation. You know, I've met plenty of people in the past, you know, I guess decade ago now, but who, you know, everybody's switching to disc brakes and they're still swearing by their rim brakes. But uh, in the wet conditions, especially there's, it's a no go. Right. So the, uh, the first rim brakes were cantilever brakes, which are especially terrible when it comes to rim brakes. You'll actually still see cantilever brakes used on some cyclocross bikes, although those are starting to transition to disc brakes now. Um, and they mostly use them for mud clearance. So the tire can still pass through the brakes when it's covered in mud during a cyclocross race, but also the speeds at, in a cyclocross race are not going to be that high. You know, you don't have extended descents. So, Braking is less consequential, I guess, in a cyclocross race than on mountain biking. But yeah, as Greg mentioned, after cantilever brakes, you had linear pole brakes, or as most of us probably know them, V-brakes. They were actually much stronger than cantilever brakes, and they worked pretty dang good as long as it was nice, dry conditions. But as as Greg said, again, if you get in the wet and the mud, they're next to useless. And also, with rim brakes, you're... The rim itself is the braking surface, you know, that's your rotor essentially. So over time, that's going to wear your rim out and, you know, wet mud, that's going to wear your rim even faster. And also one of the other disadvantages of rim brakes is since the rim is your braking surface, you have to make the rims thicker and therefore heavier. So 
that's kind of uh, another one of the pluses for disc brakes. You can have a, a lighter rim. I also just remembered one of the big issues I always had with rim brakes is that my rims would never stay straight. You know, part, part of the issue was I was on a, a cheap mountain bike at that time, which still had rim brakes. But, you know, you ding your rim just a little bit. It's a little bit out of true. And then your whole braking situation is totally jacked up. So, yeah, you don't have that issue with disc brakes or coaster brakes, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, moving on to disc brakes. That's where we're at right now. How did disc brakes come to be on mountain bikes, Aaron? Well, actually, some of the earliest mountain bikers were putting motorcycle disc brakes on their clunkers. That was fine as long as you're going downhill, but obviously a motorcycle brake is going to be pretty heavy. So they weren't ideal for just going out and riding trails. So you kind of see those fade away early on. And then, you know, we obviously went through the rim brake period. But um, the uh, the Hayes Mag brakes were the first widely available disc brake. And that's a you know, purpose-built disc brake for mountain bikes. And they were released in 1997. So we're celebrating 20 years of disc brakes on mountain bikes. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, so just to give you some of the basics of a disc brake, so you know any disc brake system, you're going to have pistons and a rotor. You know, you pull the brake lever, and the, the pistons get pushed into the rotor, and that's going to slow you down. So the way those pistons get actuated can be mechanically, so with a, a steel brake cable, or hydraulically with either dot fluid or mineral oil are the two most commonly used. And... You know, disc brakes are now, they're finally being widely adopted on, on other bikes. You're starting to see them on cyclocross bikes. You're starting to see them on road bikes and on uh, commuter bikes. And one of the interesting things on the roadside, at least to me, is the, the demand for disc brakes came from the bottom up and not the top down. You know, the everyday rider has been clamoring for disc brakes because they just offer better stopping performance in all conditions. You know, you don't really have a degradation in braking performance in in the wet and muddy conditions. So world tour teams have actually fought the move, but there are some kind of legitimate concerns for that, you know, because in a road race, when you have neutral support, if you get a flat, you have the neutral support vehicle come up and give you a spare wheel, but then everyone would need to agree on axle spacing. Everyone would need to agree on a rotor size because obviously you can't have some people running 160 millimeter rotors and other people running 140 millimeter rotors. So they're still working that out on the roadside, but I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting that it came from the bottom up. Yeah. And it sounds like too, they probably can save some weight with disc brakes. Is that, is that accurate? Since they can at least make the wheels a little bit lighter? I think the weights are probably fairly similar between a rim brake system and a, a disc brake system, at least for now. Because again, as you said, like, yeah, the rims will have to be you know, they'll have to be burlier if you're using rim brakes, but also then the components tend to be a little bit lighter. So the caliper would be lighter than, than a disc brake caliper. But I think the, the weights are probably very similar to one another. And you'll, you know, as technology continues to improve, I think you'll just see those weights come down even farther. But I mean, road bikes are so light already. And there's, you know, for UCI racing, at least there's a minimum weight limit anyway. So, uh, you know, a lot of manufacturers or a lot of pro tour teams actually end up having to add weight to bikes to, to hit that, the minimum weight. Interesting. All right. So we've run through the history of mountain bike brakes. 
really quickly. So one of the things I wanted to talk about is how do you actually use mountain bike brakes? You know, there's a front and a rear, and that can be confusing for people sometimes. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how you should use your mountain bike brakes. Greg, do you have some tips for that? Yeah, so I've actually written an article on the topic called How to Brake Your Mountain Bike. So you can find that on the website, pun intended there. But there's you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can use your brakes in different situations. We're just going to talk about a few common ones here. And or maybe not obviously, but most of the time you have two brakes on a mountain bike, a front and a rear brake. And uh, anybody who's ridden a mountain bike for any period of time has probably endowed or gone over the bars you know, forward. And, uh, a common mistake after experiencing that is not using the front brake enough because you've ended in the past. And, uh, you'll hear people saying this all the time. Like it's a common piece of wisdom too. Oh, don't use your front brake because you'll crash. And it's like, well, what the hell is the point of having a front brake then if you're not going to use it? That's one of the worst pieces of mountain biking advice that you can get because your front brake has about 70% of your braking power. The rear brake only has 30%. This is because you know, your weight is driving over the front wheel or less, at least it should be. And as you're descending, you know, your weight's descending down the mountain. So the front brake is where the majority of the braking happens. But generally speaking, you want to use both your brakes at the same time. The exception is braking in a corner which you shouldn't really be doing anyway. You should be braking before your corner and accelerating through and coming out of the other side faster. But if you do end up braking in a corner, that's a good time to avoid your front brake, especially in slippery conditions, because it could cause a front wheel slide out. So yeah, you mentioned slipping in the corners. What are some things that people need to keep in mind in terms of traction when you're using brakes? Is it is it good to brake traction or is the goal to really make sure that you keep the wheel rolling despite braking. Yeah, you definitely want to keep your wheels rolling at all time. That's going to keep you as much in control as possible. So there's two different types of traction to think about when braking. Side to side and sort of linear straight line traction. So side to side traction, you got to think about like when, especially in wet conditions, you know, your tires might break loose and start sliding sideways. At that time, it's always easier to ride out and recover from a rear wheel slide than a front wheel slider, which is generally a two-wheel slide because the front wheel rarely slides without the rear wheel sliding as well. So again, this is why I said in, if you're in a corner, if you can just use your front brake, if you're concerned about sliding, possibly breaking out the rear wheel traction is easier to recover from than breaking up both wheels at the same time. But uh, if you're trying to come to a stop, let's say, you're not like in a corner and you're going straight down the hill. Some beginners think that the fastest way to stop is just grab the brakes as hard as possible and just yank on them and start skidding and sliding and eventually they'll come to a stop. But here's the problem. To stop the bike, like you said, Jeff, you really have to slow the spin of the wheels and the bike's forward momentum. When you lock up your wheel and just start skidding um, and your bike begins to skid, uh, that means it's not slowing down because it's still sliding, it's still moving forward. The fastest way to stop your bike is actually by pulling your brakes right to the point where your back wheel is about to lock up, but not quite. To think about this a different way, this is why cars now have anti-lock braking systems for slick conditions. Uh, I know maybe a lot of the uh, younger generation out 
out there doesn't realize that cars didn't always have these, uh, but my truck doesn't have ABS. And uh, yeah, when it's slick out there and you lock up your truck, you know, and you don't have ABS, it's just going to slide and you're not going to slow. So ABS prevents you from locking your brakes in your vehicles by pulsing them and working to slow your wheels instead of your car going into an uncontrollable skid. Same idea with mountain bike. You just have to do it on your own. Right on. Yeah, that's a really good way to explain it. So another thing that a lot of mountain bikers tend to think is that if you're riding fast, you're going to be braking a lot because you're going to need to be slowing down for corners and, you know, really controlling your speed. But that's not exactly true, right, Greg? You're totally right, Jeff. Sometimes pros, when people ask them how to go faster, um, they respond by saying brake less. And sometimes people think the pros are being like cheeky and joking, but it's actually an extremely valid um, way of looking at mountain biking. If you're braking a lot, such as when descending, you're basically just shedding and giving away free speed and energy that you're going to have to make up the hard way later. So to think about a different way, like if you're coming downhill and you're braking a lot because you're scared, like to make up that speed that you've just lost, you're going to have to pedal harder, you know, and you only have so much energy and pedaling you can put out. So uh, if you can conserve your momentum, that's the number one thing you should do. Conserving momentum is really the number one key to just about everything in mountain biking. That's very true. And I would say one of the best ways to learn how to conserve momentum is to uh, spend some time riding a single speed. You'll pick better lines and you'll scrub less speed because, you know, you, like you said, you have to get back up to speed the hard way. And on a single speed, that's even harder. So I know, you know, when I was riding a single speed a lot, I could descend probably almost as well as I could on a geared bike just because I was picking better lines and braking less. One other thing to think about when you talk about how much you're braking is sort of like the amount of time you spend on the brakes versus how hard you're pulling them. So generally speaking, you know, if you're slightly dragging your brake as you're going down like a steep hill, dragging your brake just a little bit to keep you slower, um, that's generally speaking not a good strategy. So the pros, um, you'll see them going fast, braking hard into a corner, coming out of that before the corner, coming out of the corner with more speed, carrying as much speed as possible. And they don't just like hang on the brakes. Hanging on the brakes, again, slows you down more. But also, I think we'll get to this later, but it tends to heat up your brake pads and your rotors and actually reduces uh, your braking power. So if you do want to go faster, good thing to think about is braking a lot in short amounts of time instead of braking a little over longer amounts of time. Awesome. Well, yeah, those are all really great tips. So if you're in the U.S. and you're used to having your rear brake lever on the right, if you go to rent a bike or borrow somebody's bike in, say, England or Australia, I think, too, you might find the brake levers are switched. So that's definitely something that's interesting and you can keep in mind when you're borrowing somebody's bike and it feels weird when you're braking. All right, so we talked about disc brakes and how that's pretty much the standard now in mountain biking. But there are actually two different styles of disc brakes, mechanical and hydraulic. And there is still, I guess, a little bit of debate about which one is better or sort of the pros and cons of each one. So what do you guys have to say about the argument of mechanical versus hydraulic brakes? I don't think one is necessarily better than the other for every situation. You know, it definitely depends on the use case for the brakes and on what situation you're going to be riding your bike in. One may be better for you personally, but as one, just objectively speaking, I think you'd have to give hydraulic brakes 
the edge, but I digress. Anyway, so mechanical brakes, you know, generally they're going to be less expensive up front and they're going to be a lot easier to maintain. You know, it's a simpler system, which means they're cheaper to produce. So that, you know, cheaper production cost gets passed on to you, the consumer, you know, and then as for maintenance, hydraulic brakes can be a pain in the ass. You know, some brakes use DOT fluid, dot fluid, which is really nasty stuff. I mean, it can eat paint. It's, uh, you know, you have to dispose of it properly. You can't just like pour it down your sink. It's just really, it's, uh, it's gross stuff. You need to wear like eye protection. You don't want to get this stuff in your eyes. If you're working on your brakes, you get gloves, the whole nine other brands use mineral oil, which is a little bit easier to work with. Then, you know, depending on the brand of brake, some are easier to work with than others, but regardless, it's a really tedious process. I know, you know, some people like to make a big deal out of how, you know, certain brakes are really hard to work on and these are much easier, but it's relative. They all suck to work on. All hydraulic (laughs) brakes do. Trust me. And if you don't have the right tools or the patience, you can really make a mess of your brakes. You know, I personally, I do 90 plus percent of my own bike maintenance, but brakes are one of the things that I, I take to my local shop more often than not, just because I don't like dealing with the hassle of bleeding brakes. So yeah, that's where I stand on it. A lot of ultra distance riders, such as bike packers and sometimes fat bikers, you know, they take advantage of the ease of maintenance on the mechanical brakes and um, voluntarily opt to put those on their long distance bikes because, you know, since you're just dealing with the cable and the pad, they're easier service on the fly with more basic tools. Otherwise, if you have a brake line go out, you know, you're just SOL in the middle of nowhere. So that's why there's still a little bit of debate. The the mechanicals are much more basic, um, which can be good in certain situations. Right. So one other final disadvantage, I guess, of mechanical brakes is that a lot of people say they don't have as much modulation as a hydraulic disc brake. And we'll talk about that next, but that's definitely something to consider. And then also mechanical disc brakes don't tend to have quite the same amount of stopping power as hydraulic disc brakes. Aaron kind of mentioned that. Um, that's probably the biggest advantage and why most people are going to stick with hydraulic brakes because they just feel a lot stronger and more capable um, on the trail. So, Greg, I want to ask you, what is modulation? That's a word people use a lot when describing mountain bike brakes and comparing brakes. So what is it and why does it matter? Yeah, it's definitely a $5 word there. And basically modulation, when you're referring to brakes, is sort of a range of pad engagement and bite to the brake rotor. So instead of the brake lever operating like an on-off switch, as in if you pull the lever, it just turns on and the brake is on and it locks up, that's like zero modulation. Um, If you have a brake with good modulation, It's like the harder you pull the lever, the more braking power you have. This allows you to feather the brakes and drag a little brake when needed. But again, thinking back to our discussion about skidding, having good modulation helps you prevent skidding because it uh, makes it easier for you to find that point where you've got maximum braking power, but you're just not quite locking up the brake. So that's the, again, that's sort of the big advantage of the uh, hydraulic system. You know, some hydraulic brakes have more modulation than others, but with the mechanical system, you know, you just sort of pull that cable and your pads are hitting your rotors, you know, so you don't have as much control there. Okay. So once people have their set of disc brakes, 
there's still more tweaking that can be done and there's more choices to be made, uh, particularly around the selection of brake pads. So there are different types of brake pads out there. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what those are and what the advantages and disadvantages of the different types might be. So basically you have two types of brake pads. You have either organic or metallic and Really, the biggest difference is going to be quietness and uh, durability. So organic pads are going to tend to be quieter than metallic pads, especially in wet conditions. But they're also going to wear faster and they're going to kind of lack some of the, the ultimate bite that metallic pads have. Especially in wet weather, organic pads can wear really fast. I've gone through an a fresh set of brake pads on Snake Creek Gap one year when it was in the rain. I was actually in the first half, so 17 miles was all it took to destroy a set of organic pads in the rain. So, yeah, that I wouldn't use organic pads during the wet winter months or, you know, unless I just had tons of money and time to go around changing brake pads. You know, metallic pads are going to last longer and they're going to offer a better bite on the rotor, but they can be noisy especially uh especially when they get wet so it's kind of um do you want a quiet enjoyable biking experience where you uh, may not be able to slow down or want a little bit of noise and more power so it's kind of your options there when you put it that way i always wonder why they sell organic pads i'm just like (laughs) (laughs) they're they're great for dry conditions you know they'll last a, a decent amount of time in in dry weather so they're great for the summer but yeah i mean if you're going through any kind of varied weather conditions or even you know a ride where you cross a lot of creeks and stuff like that i would definitely i would stick with our uh metallic pads personally cool so what do we recommend for people who are looking for a little bit more stopping power for their disc brakes either ones that they already own or if they're looking to upgrade to ones that have a little bit more power what are some of the things you can look at or try to do? One of the easiest and probably least expensive ways is to get a larger diameter rotor. And you can do this if, uh, you know, especially for larger riders, some will run a, a larger front rotor than a rear. But essentially what it does, a larger rotor is going to require less force at the lever, which is going to reduce the rider fatigue. And it can also help lower the temperature during intense braking with, on like an extended downhill, which uh, can reduce brake fade, but that's really that's really only an issue if you're you know riding really really extended descents. And but there's also different rotor designs. You know, for instance, Shimano has these uh, rotors they call Ice Tech, which is a three layered rotor. It's got an aluminum core, and that's sandwiched in between uh, two layers of steel. So the aluminum core helps to dissipate the heat faster. And, you know, there's also different rotor types while we're talking about rotors. You have the most common are you have six bolt and center lock. So six bolts, the most common, you know, the rotors attached to the hub with six little bolts. And then center lock is a Shimano standard and it uses a splined rotor that attaches to the hub via a threaded lock ring. It's very similar to the way your cassette attaches to your, your free hub. But apart from the rotors, if you, you know, you swap your rotors and you still don't feel like you've got enough power. You can upgrade your brakes to uh, to a model that either has more pistons or larger pistons. So those that's what's inside the the caliper itself. You know most XC brakes are going to tend to use two pistons, so one on either side of the caliper. Whereas enduro or downhill brakes are going to use four pistons, so it's two on each side. So 
also when you're you know when you're adding more pistons usually the pads themselves are getting larger as well so there's more surface area that's going to contact the rotor so that's going to give you more stopping force another way to increase your stopping power is through the brake you choose specifically so aaron just talked about the the amount of pistons and generally more pistons relates to a bigger hydraulic reservoir or even more reservoirs and under long extended braking conditions you know the more fluid you have the easier it is to again dissipate that heat it's the same reason why downhill shocks will have a piggyback uh, chamber on top of a shock that makes it essentially bigger than what you'd have on your trail bike. It's more fluid, easier to dissipate the heat from extended use. One final way to increase your stopping power is the type of brake pads you select. So we already talked about how metallic pads have are stronger than organics, but there's one other thing to think about that as well, and that's the design of the pad itself. For instance, Shimano offers finned pads that act as heat sinks. So it essentially tries to get the heat away from the pad as fast as possible to prevent the pad from glazing over. Um, I actually just had a, a recent, well, recent as in a couple months ago, but I was uh, just got a new set of pads on. I didn't really communicate to my mechanic exactly what type of pads I wanted all that well, even though he asked, disconnect. So I ended up with a set, a set of organic pads um, with no fins on them. And then I decided to take a shortcut and basically bomb down off of a single track trail straight down a ski run um, for about a thousand vertical feet. And uh, I experienced major, major brake fade to the point where my brakes just weren't stopping me. I had to get the bike sideways across the hill to slow myself down and at the end of it i had glazed um like just roasted my rotors and i had glazed over my brake pads because they couldn't get rid of the heat fast enough because they didn't have the fins and they were organic so um, that can make a big difference yeah so that actually leads us into our next discussion about brake maintenance and troubleshooting so yeah glazed pads is definitely something that people experience all the time. Aaron, what's what's that about and what can you do if that happens to you? Well, glazing typically happens if you're doing something like Greg did or if you're dragging your brakes too much. So one of the easiest ways to avoid that is to not drag your brakes in the first place. But if you do glaze your pads over, you can pull them out and scuff them up with the sandpaper or as uh, we had to do in an emergency situation, just scuff them up on uh, a little bit of... Uh, uh, concrete to rough them back up. But you need to be very careful not to contaminate your pads because any little bit of oil, you know, even from your hands, you should really try not to touch the the surface of your, your brake pads or your rotors really because anything you get on your rotor is then going to get on your pads. And like, you know, if, you, if you're going crazy with the chain lube or something and you, and you get some on your rotor, you should clean that off before you use your brakes because that's a really easy way to ruin your brake pads, which if you don't realize you've done that could lead you to crash. So keep your, keep your pads clean and keep your rotors clean. Yeah. That tip of scuffing up the brake pads on concrete, that was actually Aaron did that for me after we descended <laughs> off of Pike's peak a couple summers ago. And I honestly, I had no idea what the problem was, you know, getting down toward the bottom of the mountain. I was like, geez, my brakes just don't feel like they're working. I thought, I thought maybe the pads were just gone like i had just worn through them but uh yeah it turned out they were they had just been glazed over from all the heat and me just breaking so much going all the way down so 
but yeah, after doing that, it was great. So it was a, it was a super, super good MacGyver hack <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Well, in Jeff's defense, that was an 8,000 foot, uh, descent. So that's, uh, some, some glazing can be uh, forgiven in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's sort of outside the normal use case there for sure. So what else? What about bleeding? Do you guys have any tips for bleeding breaks? Aaron, I know you said you hate doing it, but is there, is there any redemption in it? Is there anything that, that can make it a little easier or, or at least how do you know when you need to bleed your brakes? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, bleeding just sucks. And really, I probably should have said this earlier, but if you don't know what you're doing, don't mess with your brakes. You know, if you're not a confident mechanic, it's, I mean, it's not that hard, but like I said, it's a tedious process. So if you're one to kind of just like not follow instructions very well, you can't really skip steps when you're bleeding brakes and you don't really want to because, you know, the brakes are what's going to keep you from really hurting yourself. So that little disclaimer aside, you really shouldn't need to bleed your brakes that often unless you've got a really bad set of brakes and then you may have to. But typically you only need to bleed your brakes after you shorten a hose. So this is if you buy a new set of brakes or if you're moving a set of brakes to a new bike and you got, you know, your hose is either too long or too short and you're going to have to replace it, then that's a situation where you're going to have to bleed. Also, internal routing is, uh, you know, it's very in vogue right now. And some bikes are routing the brakes internally as well, which really sucks because then anytime you want to move your, remove your brakes or swap your brakes or anything, you're looking at a possible bleed. But the other situation is just, you know, eventually the, um, the fluid in your, in your brakes will kind of just, just get bad over time if you're riding a lot. Uh, so if your levers are feeling squishy, if you're getting a lot of fade and you didn't used to, then it could be time for a bleed. So really, if you're having any kind of like inconsistent performance at the lever, uh, that's a good sign that it's time to bleed your brakes. Awesome. All right. One other question. What do you do when your brake pads are rubbing on one side? So there's a couple possibilities. If you're, uh, if you're rubbing, it could be your rotor is bent and that can be resolved with, uh, there's actually a tool that you can buy to, uh, straighten your rotor. It's just, you're literally just bending it back into place. You can also use, I've done it before with, um, you know, like a, an adjustable wrench, a large adjustable wrench. Cause you want to get you know, some good contact on the rotor and you just tweak it a little bit at a time until it's not rubbing anymore. The other issue could be that the, uh, the caliper is not centered correctly on the rotor and to fix the centering issue, you just loosen your caliper bolts slightly. You don't need to go just a couple of turns just so the caliper can, can jiggle a little bit. So spin the wheel and gently pull the brake lever and then hold the lever completely you know so the wheels stopped and then tighten the caliper bolts back down and you should be good to go sweet you make it sound so easy <laughs> one final pro tip that i want to add in is you should never squeeze a brake lever if there's not a rotor in between your pads i do this all the time i forget but uh if you do that your pistons are going to get pushed out and at the extreme you could actually break the seal on the pistons and the the whole hydraulic system. So you definitely don't want to do that. But at a minimum, it's going to be a pain in the ass to actually get your rotor on later because those pads, 
they don't, once they're pushed out that far, they don't want to go back into position. So resist the urge to squeeze a brake lever, especially if it's like on your mechanic stand while he's working on your bike. <laughs> he's not going to be too happy with you. There are like little plastic lever insert type things you can put in your bike if you're going to be, you know, having the wheel off for an extended period and that'll prevent that from happening. You know, it's basically just a little shim that goes in there and acts like a rotor wood uh, between the pads so that that issue doesn't happen. All right. So now I wanted to ask you guys, which brakes do you like the best? You know, on the market today, the two big players are Shimano and SRAM. Um, and there seems to be a lot of debate amongst mountain bikers about which is better, but I'm interested to know which brakes you guys run or, or which brands you prefer. For me, it used to be Shimano. I was Shimano all the way, but I've been very unimpressed by my recent set of XT brakes, and you can read my review on them. And Shimano still hasn't sent me a new set to convince me otherwise. So Shimano, if you're listening to this, um, I'll take a new set of brakes whenever you're ready. Um, on the flip side, SRAM's recent line of guide brakes uh, has been totally bomber in my experience. So I'd say my needle is uh, definitely swinging towards the SRAM side um, today. So yeah, things are changing, always changing. Yeah, um, I've actually been a avid SRAM guy for brakes uh, pretty much the entire time I've been mountain biking. You know, I did, I know a lot of people have had issues with their brakes. I was, I guess, lucky, but, uh, I did have a set of XO brakes a few, few years ago. This is several years, you know, probably talking six or seven years ago. I had major issues with, but, you know, they were always good about taking care of the brakes and, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, I got a new set and all that. It was still a major pain in the ass, but that was an older design. It was called Taper Bore, I think was the reservoir design that they had. And it was just, it was not a good design. It invited a lot of opportunities for air to get uh, into the system, which air is your enemy in a hydraulic system. But I stuck with them and yeah, their brakes have just continued to get better. As Greg said, the the new guide brakes are awesome. You know, they are, they're actually a four piston design, but they're still relatively lightweight. So yeah, I would, uh, I would say SRAM gets my vote. I mean, Shimano makes excellent brakes as well. It's just, uh, for me, I much prefer the modulation of the the SRAM brakes to Shimano. Shimano's still, to me, have a very on-off feel when compared with SRAM. And I just, I like, I like to be able to feather a little bit more. But interestingly, I've been testing a set of TRP brakes and... They actually look very similar to Shimano brakes. They use mineral oil like Shimano brakes. They use the same pads as Shimano brakes. The bleed procedure is the same, but they have the modulation of the SRAM brakes. So it's kind of like a nice uh, mix of the two. So I've actually really been been digging these TRP brakes. Yeah, Aaron, I'm like you. The modulation on the Shimano brakes to me leaves a little bit to be desired. But I think one of the things a lot of people really like about them is they tend to feel like they have a lot more stopping power. But ultimately, yeah, I'm a, I'm a SRAM brake guy too. I'm actually a big fan of mechanical brakes. So I love the Avid BB7s. Uh, that's what I run on my hardtail. And yeah, you know, I've tried, I've tried brakes from other companies, FSA and Hayes. And yeah, they just haven't been, haven't been quite as good or as bomb proof, I guess, as 
Shimano and, and the SRAMs that I've tried. And, and I guess part of that is just, I mean, it's tough to make good breaks consistently that, you know, are going to be the same from year to year. So finally, I want to talk about pricing for mountain bike brakes. What do people need to consider when they're looking at, at mountain bike brakes and maybe trying to compare brakes based on prices? You got to be careful when you're looking at brake prices because you're not always comparing apples to apples. You got to look at the fine print. You got to see what's included in the price. For instance, oftentimes rotors and adapters are not going to be included in the price. So you need to account for that extra cost. Generally, though, you can find a set of mechanical disc brakes like the Avid BB5s. That's their uh, kind of lowest end uh, mechanical disc brakes. Uh, that's about 130 bucks. So this is full retail prices again. So, but that includes calipers, levers, and rotors. You may have to get some adapters. That'll be a few bucks extra to fit your specific bike. But yeah, you're talking about a, around 130 dollars for full set of brakes for your bike. But if you want hydraulics, there's actually some surprisingly affordable hydraulic options. Uh, SRAM's new base model level. It's the as the uh, series brake it's called level. It's sixty three dollars per wheel, but that does not include rotors. So you know you're you're talking maybe around twenty dollars a rotor. So just slightly more expensive than the mechanicals. And going up a little bit more to the high end or mid range, I guess you'd say the Shimano's XT brakes are again some of the most popular brakes out there. Retail price for them is one hundred and fifty per wheel. But again, you're going to have to add in rotors and any adapters. But honestly, you can always find Shimano's stuff for much cheaper online, much to the chagrin of bike shops everywhere. And then high-end brakes like Shimano's XTR, SRAM's Guide Ultimates, and a lot of the Magura models are, you're talking about $300 or more per wheel. So you can really, I mean, just like anything on a bike, you can, you can kind of go nuts and go super blingy if you want to. Yeah, that's a great rundown. So this has been a really good discussion about mountain bike brakes. Hopefully we've covered all the bases that we could think of. Although we only do the Single Tracks podcast once a week, we're always pushing out a ton of great content on our website. And one of the best ways that you can keep up with all the great mountain bike news is by following us on Facebook or signing up for our email newsletter. So check that out. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.